welcome, Lindsay Davis. This is Oliver Johnson, Lindsay's editor of Too Many Years to Recount Now, <laughs> doing, I think, our third podcast. I think it's our third podcast. It's third podcast. Our... We've been interrupted somewhat in this great exploit by the pandemic, of course, and yes. we haven't had a chat like this probably for four or five years. And well, three. Three maybe. years. Um and today we are celebrating the publication of Desperate Undertaking, which is the 10th Flavia Albia mystery, and also a bit of a milestone book, not only being the 10th Flavia Albia book, but the 30th in the entire Falco series. If you don't count the downloads. The downloads, right. Yes. So... And, of course, we have two other Roman books as well. So quite a few Roman books. But yes. the milestone is really there in the Didius clan 30th book. I think um, so. The soap opera. Yes. So can I just ask, now you've reached the 10th book in the Flavia Albia series, when we first discussed doing it, you were slightly reluctant to go back to the Didii, were you not? And... What do you make of the reception that Flavia has received? Um, and what are the plans for the future? Well, the plans for the future, you'll either be glad or horrified to hear her not to stop, really. I wanted a change, and um, it was very hard to persuade you that I should move away from the Roman world, of course. So... Um, I thought I would have a slight change in that I'd write about a woman and a woman who's not basically as Roman as Falco was. And I believed that readers would trust me and they'd think, if Lindsay thinks this is all right, um, we'll give it a go. I was absolutely horrified by the large numbers who said they weren't going to read Flavia Albia because it wasn't Falco. I think they thought, if they said that, it would dissuade me. But you know, I'm very stubborn. And so it just made me more determined to make her work. And from the very first book, I thought, this is good. I've, I've got a new voice. It is different. And it will refresh me. And it will all be fine. The fact I've done 10, and I am, you'll be glad to know, halfway through number 11, is astonishing. It just doesn't seem as though it's been 10 and a half years. Not at all. And what do you think the uh, eternal fascination with the Didii is? What's the USP? They are good fun. A lot of them are disreputable. They speak their minds freely and frankly. I think people enjoy that very much. Um, and they have endless adventures. A any family that had as many adventures as Falco and Albia have had um, would, would be a milestone in, in any period and any society. Um, so there's always something new. And I think it's very important that I've never written the same book over and over again. I've, I've written different kinds of crime novels or I've put them somewhere else or the murders are different. So nobody ever knows, including me, or you, what is going to come next. Um, what do you think has changed over this 10-book series? Because it's a bit of a leading question, because we, we, we know uh, in relation to Falco there has been a bit of a change indeed in this book. So 
is there you know any sort of accent you know any way of your thinking about the characters or the place or anything like that that's altered in these 10 books i I didn't plan what was going to happen um particularly but as you know for a joke i set the first seven on seven hills of rome because you'd said i couldn't do that this this always amuses readers and, then and I completely failed to notice. You failed your plan. to notice. After about four, <laughs> I had to say, <coughs> Oliver, have you noticed what I'm doing here? And then, then you claimed that it was nothing to do with you, and it was all fine. Um, by the time I'd done those seven books and thought of some other places in Rome to delve into more deeply than I've delved into places, locations, I think I decided, and I may stick with this or may not that she'll stay in Rome, whereas Falco, every other book, travelled somewhere else, more or less every other book. But I'm older and I don't enjoy travelling so much. And I found there is loads of stuff about Rome that I haven't ever done and that gives me good things. And now I've landed the couple, Alvia and her beloved, with two very small children. There's all the more reason for them to stay at home tied down by the two horrible whiny little boys so when i spoke about ringing the changes slightly mm -hmm. uh i think i was driving at the fact that in this book you have brought back some old characters i have that's a new thing um i have been looking at various old books and sometimes falco would allude in passing to previous adventures of his certainly uh, not so much Albia because she's just setting out. Um, but in this one, because it's set in the world of the theatre, for those who don't know, I remembered that there had been a big Falco story called Last Act in Palmyra, where he and Helena were travelling through Syria with a with a troop of characters. And it suddenly struck me that it might be a good idea to bring them back and, in fact, kill quite a lot of them off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that says about me, that I enjoyed killing my own characters. But I did enjoy the fact it's it's something like 15 years since we last met them. So everybody who was there has changed. And it it didn't have to deter things for Albia because she she had not been discovered and adopted in that book. So everything that might puzzle people puzzles her. So it has to be explained to her. And that, that made it easy to do. Will I continue to bring back characters from old books and kill them off? Probably not. And we have the great um, Helena and Falco question as well and how much of a role they might play in future books. Could you discuss that a little bit? Yes. Um, to begin with, I left them out completely and I did it on purpose because I knew people would be wanting me to write about them, not Albia, and I wanted to establish her. Um, there was there was a question over film rights in characters as well. And I just didn't want them taking over. Albia refers to them quite often because she's, she's very generous in her praise for how they rescued her and brought her up. And the joke for me is Albia saying, oh, my weird parents, and rolling her eyes whenever they do or say anything rather than having them actually appear. I'm gradually letting them have the occasional half a chapter where they are present. But it's yes. never going to happen. 
Otherwise, mm. cunningly, you send them off to their holiday villa on the coast yes, or particularly on this other one. errands like that. Well, you know what <laughs> it would have been like with old friends of theirs. They they would have totally taken over, assuming they're real people. Yes, they are real people. So so by sending them off, they don't take over. And we've got Albia having a crisis of conscience because she knows there are some questions. She's only got to ask them and they'll tell her the answer. But instead, she prefers to doggedly sort it all out for herself, as she does. She is an independent woman. Yes, I can't imagine where she gets that from. <laughs> so I think now's the time to move on to the inspiration and probably... Um, the inspiration for this book, would you agree, kind of slightly came out of Comedy of Terrors and mm. talking about Shakespeare yes. and uh, the inspiration for that book. Your dear editor, having missed every cue to <laughs> the uh, Comedy of Errors in it while well, editing it. <laughs> you've probably missed every illusion that is made in this book as well, but I can help you with that if you need it, dear. Um uh, it, it's partly down to you and my American editor having got me to watch a lot of Vincent Price videos, as they now are. And there's there's a Vincent Price where he's playing a disgruntled actor of the old style who kills critics who've done him down in ways that happen in Shakespeare plays, so it's deeply appropriate. And that gave me the idea that could I do something similar with, with classical plays? Didn't work out exactly the same, but a lot of the deaths are theatrical. And what I discovered or remembered is that on the Roman stage, in, in its lowest, most horrible version, they actually killed people as part of the play. If there was a character who had to meet a gory end, they'd use a slave or criminal or some other poor person and really kill them on stage, if possible, with a lot of blood. So so that is the starting point, really. And we work our way through six or seven really gruesome deaths. I, I can tell you that the next book, is going to be much less gruesome, if only for me. You um, had a little pause at the, you know, gruesomeness of this book, I think, uh, yes. when writing it, and we had a little chat about it. Yes, because I am afraid, um, having read a very gruesome scene to my group that I have for my monthly book club where I read to them, I'd read a bit of work in progress, and it was probably the worst scene of all, I don't know why I chose that. That was a foolish mistake, really. Um, and it did upset people. And so I thought I'd better check in with you before I wrote the whole thing. But I was committed to this idea. So I've just had to do the gore as tastefully as can be done. Absolutely, yes. You've read it. I did you, read it, yes. And, uh, it? you know, I mean, compared to some other authors, I think it's all tastefully done, as tastefully mm. done as it can as be. Possible. And some stuff is obviously off screen as well. Yes, purposefully where, wherever so. possible. The, the the really horrible one. Yes. And um, uh, In fact, the first two, to get you used to the idea, have happened and are discovered after they've occurred and the people are dead or almost dead. Um, and I've always got that thing I've done in every book where my protagonist feels for the people who suffered 
feels for the people they've left behind. So yeah. I feel that morally, we're not just enjoying horrible scenes for the sake of being. It's an interesting tension, isn't it, between Mm. that modern sensibility, which I think Albia probably has, because she has a lot of compassion as well as drive in investigating these uh, cases she gets involved in, and the actual Roman world, which in many respects was so brutal, and that uh, you know, writers like Marsh, Marshall, Martial, or however you say. I call him Marshall. Yes, he's, Marshall he's report the, one who um, the horrible things. All, that all, I all these things, and you know, these horrible executions on stage in a um, quite a factual way. Does he? Yes, not? almost as if it's something to be proud of. But we we have two characters, two hu- humory characters in this who who are in fact members of the Vigiles who love the theatre and they remind us that in Greek theatre death never happened on stage death happened so, so there was in the classical world a divergence of opinion about what theatre ought to be mm. you can't say that Greek tragedies aren't hugely moving and yet they, they have the ban mm. Of course, the two Vigilis characters are my favourites. I knew they would be. Yeah. They are the archetypical critics, backseat driver <laughs> critics, and uh, give us a lot of comic relief, which is necessary. Which we need. I, that was why I put them in for the comic relief. But But I also enjoyed the fact that you wouldn't expect ex-slaves working in the fire brigade to be avid theatre goers, but why not? It's a kind of grave digger thing. It or is. Well, we have the grave digger as well, of course, because we have to yes. have the Hamlet graveside scene. I knew you'd love to have that in. Yes. In fact, there, there's quite a lot of these motifs there, and that mm. is one I actually spotted. So well, that's, um... that's good. It's pretty obvious <laughs> <laughs> when we get to it. <laughs> Great. Um, so moving on. A little bit here. I'm going to ask you, since this is a landmark book, and we have had 30 books, as mm. I said, with the Didii, and then two other main books. Um, that's Course of Honor and Master and God. Indeed. And as you say, some download short books as well. Yes. Uh, this is spanning a long time now in your writing career. And you began in the late 80s with Falco. Mm. Slightly left field question here. What has changed in your understanding of ancient Rome in all these decades that you've been writing about it? When I started, there was no popular view of ancient Rome available for ordinary people. It was very much the public school view of the classical world, um, the male public school view to a great extent, though obviously I'd learned Latin and Greek and I went to a girls' school. Um, We have had loads more archaeology that has been taken seriously by the world. When I started, it was a subject we viewed askance almost wasn't seen as a legitimate thing to study at university, for example, though there were courses, one of which Prince Charles went on. Um, And that, in a way, didn't help it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We've had things like Gladiator and many other ancient world 
people in fur coats fighting each other stuff. And we've had things like the time team since. And that, I think, has made people feel much more comfortable with with the ancient world, know more about it, be more interested in it. Mm. So are there any specific, you know, I'm thinking about all these revelations that we are now getting because Pompeii is being excavated mm. more, sort of particular insights into the world. Just, you know, I mean, we have that uh, quite notable discovery, do we not, from, you know, our misunderstanding of, I think, some monastic scribes' yes. interpretation of Pliny that the eruption actually took place in the autumn as opposed to midsummer i i still think we may have a circle and we'll go back to it was the summer because um the new version says there's a coin of titus which wouldn't have been there but it could have been dropped by people digging after the eruption happened and there's a theory that the people who were found as far as we can tell what they were wearing, they were wearing much warmer clothing. But I think when you go to the Medi Mediterranean, even now, all the chaps are wearing string vests under their shirts. They wear, in the Mediterranean, they wear many more clothes than we in Britain wear. The minute the sun comes out, we throw everything off. I have done that almost today myself. Um, and it, and it's quite likely they'll change their minds again. That is one thing that's happened because I've been doing this for 30 years. I've seen everything be reconsidered and then reconsidered again. So now for the first time, we're hearing the revisionist revisionist theory yes. of Vesuvius. So yes. the revisionist revisionist <laughs> revisionist version is yet to come and may happen in my lifetime. I'm, I don't need to worry about it, really. I think when I wrote my download I tried to avoid saying what the time of year was just to leave it um, as it was I hate the fact they've changed it because I used to know the date it, it was my parents wedding anniversary and I could roll that off as though I had deep knowledge of the subject and if they change it to some unspecified date in autumn that won't help me but Nevertheless, these archaeological discoveries do give a lot of grist to your mill, don't they? they? And do. the, the details of everyday life and living and, you know, that, those rather touching insights that we get, just finding carbonised bits of rope or, or clothes or food. Or... Food still on the stove. And and the the big thing for us with, with Albia and Falco, of course, is that they have dug under a car park on the Aventine Hill and found a beautifully decorated house or apartment um, that they believe was the private house of the Emperor Trajan. And I have allocated that as the location of Fountain Court, which I'd never said where it was because I had no idea. And now we've got a whole new area of plot with um, Falco having come into possession of the dreaded Falco fountain court has sold it to this up-and-coming senator claiming it's a really good place to live <laughs> bluffing him and i've i've developed an extra thing which i think is in the book i'm writing so you don't know about it that tiberius Al albia's husband who has given up being a magistrate because he had to and he's now a building contractor he's conceived the idea that he's going to go along and try and get the demolition contract from trajan's agent interesting at, yes at 
hugely favourable rates and with rights to take away the materials. Of course, that's one of the delights of the Falco series and this series too, is this sort of intermingling between mm. the Didii and the Imperial family. Yes. And it brings that whole Imperial thing down to sort of almost normality and something yes. we can understand, which we probably couldn't from normal histories and, and, so and gives them gives them links that must have existed in real life except perhaps with Domitian who was very reclusive um, and I, I enjoy that because it means I can show how the real people viewed them up there and rub shoulders with them and rub shoulders with them but also were very cynical about them yes so um Talking of which, we have touched on what's next, and I think it's always good to discuss what's mm. next. Maybe if you could just have a, a little chat about the new book. Yes, and if you decide you don't like it, there is still time for you to veto what my plans are. This is editorial work going on. Yes, the conversation could get a little bit cagey now, but it we'll see how, how we go, where it leads. Well, the starting point is that it needs to be different from the gruesome scenes we've had. So I thought I would do a family story, but cynically, as Albia says, that 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 can actually be quite gruesome if it's about in, interwoven families. And the point I've reached at the moment is about halfway through. In order to keep track of it, I have a gigantic family tree of not one but two interlinked families, interlinked by all sorts of nefarious soap opera type goings on. And I have two different lists of what has happened and a gigantic timeline. They've been locked in litigation for 40 years and um, various things have happened that, were violent or um, people cheated on each other. Um, and Albia has to try and find out whether someone is a freed slave or still a slave, which affects their life and their child's life as well, against this background of litigation, which has enabled me to bring back some characters we've met before. Various lawyers that we have met have been drawn in to behave like lawyers, which I always enjoy writing. And I've got halfway through and nobody has died. Are you going to allow that? Well, we'll see about that. We we sometimes do insert a corpse, however relevant yes, or not that, to the that plot. Would, that would spoil this idea. Hmm. But there's been a suggestion one person may have been murdered but obviously the suggestion is enough it, surely the yeah. suggestion i hope will be enough and that you'll allow me to carry on to the point where we find out it isn't him hmm. so a 40 year old legal case so hmm. we're going a bit bleak house a bit, bit john dice yes. and john dice Pe people <laughs> saying it ruined my life all this all this pouring over scrolls and constant wrangling about it in between, they occasionally have fisticuffs or um, they sleep with one another, even though they're not married to whoever they're sleeping with, just, just to give it a bit of spice. And we have a title. And we do have a title, but I was going to ask you about that. It's called Fatal Reckoning because it starts with an unpaid bar bill, which, which is slightly relevant and starts off the story, but then doesn't come back into it for quite a long time. 
And I'm wondering if you'll let me call it something else. Oh, I see. Well, folks, see, that title may not be set in stone. <laughs> Lindsay and I will be enjoying a robust conversation, as we, always, over titles. Yes. Um, and, and that will be the title in the end, because we won't be able to agree. But anyway, um, that sounds really fascinating. And as always, a new idea, a yes. dynamic idea, bringing in new characters as well as old characters as well. Yes, and also exploring the question of slavery, which with the Falco series, I I dealt with slavery by just showing it as if everybody accepted it and it was there in the background and he never really very much discussed mm. it. Albia, we've had uh, enemies at home which deliberately looked at the issues of slavery and this one to an extent is looking at the aspect of being freed from slavery and what it meant to people, how important it was. Hmm. And obviously a very topical modern um, issue uh, that we're all uh, talking a lot about. Yeah. So um, I think that wraps it up for today. Desperate Undertaking is out now, is available now in hardback, ebook and audio and i'd just like to thank lindsay for being here today to talk about her new book as well as desperate undertaking which as i said was published on april the 12th and i'd like to thank you um i think most people know that you've been my editor for since i began really and this is an extraordinary story there's very few authors who've had the same person i can write for you no. Oh. I don't always because it's more fun if I write something that you all hate. <laughs> then we have a little discussion of it. But but I think we've been a partnership that, that people ought to know about and value. Well, it's been my pleasure because every year I have the utter treat of being transported to uh, both familiar and unfamiliar location and time in history clearly uh with someone who has a brilliant aptitude at bringing the remote people place <laughs> and culture of that nah they're just a life. bunch of brummies really so thank you well maybe they are <laughs> <laughs> but it works <laughs> all right Lindsay. well thank you very much for being here today and uh hopefully the next podcast will not take another three or four years no hopefully not we'll be discussing the book with no title <laughs>